Andrew, SBJ came out with its most influential list this week. That's topic one. And the big get is JJ Reddick, of course, from Duke. And he got to say some things to you, a Maryland grad. Are we allowed to say the F word on this? And I'm sorry, John. And we're back. The Marshan Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran. Our good buddy there, John Arad. The media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. Today, the big get, J.J. Reddick. We'll have that for you in a little bit. J.J. was excellent, as you'd expect. So that's coming up in a a minute. Uh, But then we're going to just hit the topics as we go here, uh, getting close to Christmas and the new year and Hanukkah. So happy holidays to everybody listening. All right, let's get straight to it. Who's up? Who's down? Who's up? Who's down? John, my who's up is first take. Stephen A. Smith and his debating partners have seen their ratings go up 16% from last year, uh, which really has validated Smith's move to expel Max Kellerman as his debate partner. Uh, Chris Russo has been a big hit on Wednesdays, and uh, the show has a lot of energy. It's averaging about 430,000 viewers per day. That's a big number in the morning. Uh, So my who's up first take. Andrew, ESPN's studio shows are going to sweep the who's up this week uh, because I'm giving it to Eric Reinholm and Aaron Solomon, who are the brains behind Around the Horn. Why Around the Horn? It celebrated its 20th anniversary this week and 20 years of that studio show and the amount of reporters that got their start on it and that have now gone on to bigger and better things is legion. I mean, check out these roster names. J.A. Adande, Kevin Blackstone, Frank Isola, a Terp uh, in there as well. Jackie McMullen. Uh, it's, it's a lot of names uh, that's out there. Bob Ryan, Sarah Spain, you know, so it's, it's old school, new reporters uh, that, that, that get out there. And, you know, we had Mina Kimes on as our big get uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And she referenced just the amount of hits that she got on that. And she credited uh, that show really with helping to her career to blossom the way that it has. I'd say more sports writers, though. They got a little away from sports writers. I think that's really where the uh, where the secret sauce for the whole thing has been uh, for those uh, two decades. All right. Who's down? Just out of tradition. Uh, I'm going Fox Sports as World Cup coverage. <laughs> again, again. You might not have heard. I don't really like their coverage. I'm not really going to go into more detail about it. I just want it to improve. They got the Euros. They have the Women's World Cup. They got the uh, World Cup in 26 in the United States. Um, The focus uh, needs to be a little bit more on the hardcore fan a little bit. And I know they're going to tell me that um, you're, you're nodding your head. Come back at me. You had a great column that I totally disagreed with in New York Post uh, Plus uh, I think Strong is a, a strong uh, announcer. I like having an American voice. I don't like having the British voice. I am a I'm a hardcore sports fan. I'm a casual soccer fan, and they they need uh, uh, something to win me over. What you said in in the column is that who, whoever the announcers are going to be has to live and breathe soccer. Well, I don't think did, did Joe Buck live and breathe football or baseball? I think you can do, do you can live and breathe different things. No, no, you can do both. Hold on a second. No, 
first off, let me just so I just clarify. Um, you love John Strong so much, you only said strong, you even say John. But, anyways, uh, John, <laughs> <laughs> you're such a huge fan. John Strong is good enough to do games, he doesn't strike me as a number one for the World Cup. Uh, he does have the passion, uh, but you know, what I said in my newsletter on Mondays, uh, is that. You know, I think that next generation, if there anybody among those Ryan Rucos and Noah Eagles and Adam Amins and Benetti's and et cetera, uh, Joe Davis, is anybody love soccer? And maybe they could be that, you know, what Fox wanted Gus Johnson to be. And John Strong does a good, he's a, he does a good job. Ian Dark, their number two is better. I mean, if you listen, it just, it sounds better. And I get it. You're going to say that there's an English bias that, the, you know, just sounds bigger. I mean, maybe I'm not going to tell you that's totally wrong, but I don't think that's the bias. I think the bias is just how they do the games um, and just kind of their knowledge of the game and and just hitting the right points uh, and then just the overall calls. And I think I'm being fair when I say that. Again, Strong is good enough to do the game, you know, do World Cup games. I don't think he's really I think they could do better at number one. By the way, I'm not disagreeing with your overall point. I'm not defending Fox's coverage of, of, of the World Cup. I want I like seeing an American voice calling American soccer. I just like it. It's a you know, I, I don't know. I, I'll raise my flag on that. I, I don't want to hear the Brits come over here and tell me, like, you know, they're the best. They're the best. By the way, I, I want I want it to be called a goldtender too, for that matter. You know, it doesn't need to be exactly, called you don't know anything about I, I listen, I can't See, you're a hardcore I, fan. I you that that that, 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 that grates on you, but you're gonna watch no matter what, Andrew. No, but this is what's wrong. Okay. I can't stress this enough. The reason that NBC and the Premier League has gotten credit, the reason CBS with Champions League has gotten credit, the reason ESPN got credit back in, um when they had the World Cup in the Euros is because they're appealing to the fan who cares about the coverage. Because the fan that you're the fan who doesn't really care about the coverage. You say you care about it. You don't really care about it. You're watching because it's the World Cup and you'll come, you'll tune back in in four years. And the idea that you want the best broadcaster, whatever that means. And that's where, again, I'm not saying you have to just go and just talk soccer lingo so people can't understand it. You need to make it digestible for other people. It's just that. Uh, you, the person who cares about it is going to be the one who's going to be the influencers to tell other people, no, this coverage is good. That, and instead, when you try to appeal to the people who don't care as much, it, all you do is those people don't really care that much because, John, you don't really care that much about the coverage. Um, and uh, and then the people who actually do care about the coverage, you really turn them off. And I don't think you – you talk about – I don't really care about growing the game. It doesn't really matter to me personally as someone who loves soccer. I'm going to like the World Cup in four years. If it's the – if someone says, you know, oh, now it's the third biggest sport in America, who cares? I don't care about that. What I do care about is what I'm watching and do they lift it up. And this, I think, shows like when broadcasters that they do have an impact in terms of – how good it is because there are things that have been lost in this world cup. It's been a tremendous world cup on the field, off the field. Um, another story, but just, just do better. Okay. We don't have to, we, we've talked enough about it and it's not personal. I know people love to say that when you criticize like, I try not to focus on one thing. This happens to be the biggest event in the world right now. Um, and it's, it's been uh, disappointing in terms of the coverage. I love the coverage so much. I turned off the Netherlands game when they were uh, down two nothing. I know I should say two exactly. you I know. I know I should say it. <laughs> you don't care. All right. My who's down is uh, John Stainer, who is the managing director for the Americas of Nielsen Sports. And that's because it has been a tough year 
for Nielsen Sports. Uh, they're trying to count the number of viewers that are watching sporting events. So this year, one of the reasons uh, ratings are, are up uh, almost across the board is because they're adding in in almost real time out of home viewing. So, you know, you're you, it's viewing from restaurants and bars, viewing from other people's homes, you know, viewing in a in an airport or, or something along those lines. And so there's there's this they, they got a whole big jump in that number, which means presumably that the advertisers will have to pay more because look, this many more people are, are seeing it. Well, I had a story in SBJ Media, Austin Karp uh, uh, reported it out. The NFL and Nielsen conducted a survey around Thanksgiving, and they undercounted the NFL's Thanksgiving numbers by 37%. You have Amazon. I mean, Amazon's releases that come out every Friday make me laugh because they say, oh, the Nielsen's number is this. But our internal number that ha that has no sort of verified metrics is always considerably higher than the Nielsen number. There, we're at a crossroads right now for Nielsen and for third-party measurement of of these uh, of sports, and it's important on a business case because this determines how much advertisers pay, how much support all these uh, networks get, and by by contrast, how much they pay the leagues and how much the teams get, and and uh, everything that everybody sees. So it's a uh, it's my who's down and it's something that bears watching. You know, one other note, I do like uh, Tim Buckman, Amazon's uh, who's uh, I think the head of Thursday night football. I don't know his exact title over there, but, but he, he writes those up and he always uses like words, like an astonishing comeback. And I love like his adjectives are just uh, classic Buckman. I just got to point that out. Buckman's releases are they're They're, they're fantastic reading. Cause they, they start with like, you know, the, 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 the demo number, and then they go into the Amazon number and then tucked down in the bottom is this teeny little Nielsen number. That's the only one that everybody uses. I know Tim could sell ice cubes to Eskimo. So it's good stuff. That's oh, good stuff. Like the rays have been good. All right. That brings us to our first topic. The most influential people in all of sports from the sports business journal. I'm going to have my power rankings uh, coming out this upcoming Monday in my newsletter. Uh, so check that out at newyorkpost.com. But going to get a preview today of that or no? I'm not giving it up. We're, we're, they'll, they'll be they'll be we'll do it end of the year I'll, I'll, we'll go into end of the year uh which we'll do next week uh our end of the year review um but your most influential uh for sports business journal aid madcor the man in charge of the sports business journal and his editorial he said the reason there's so many media people is because you have such an influential uh sports media writer in john oran is that true? Are you that uh, it's influential? All, it's all due to this podcast, uh, Andrew. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, that, that is nice. That's good to hear from the balls. You should bring that up. Clip that. And when you're when they talk about uh, raises and stuff, bring that up. So, Abe, you owe John more money. That's what I took out of Well, uh, considering all the grief that I get from all uh, from, from this list, uh, I, I I should have a more influence on it. All right. Make, I'm going to make this clear. My power rankings haven't gone up yet, but it's going to be in there. If you complain about my power ranking, it's on the record. So, you can call. It's just on the record. I'm putting on the recorder and that, I'm going to publish it. That's great. I'm going to publish what you say, your complaints. Hopefully you're nice and pithy and you talk about other people. It'll be great and we'll publish them. And so either, <laughs> so they're going to come out. They're not influenced by anybody. I don't care what you think. They're, they're sort, you know, they think this is your, none of that. I'm going to rank them for 2022. So I'll look for that on Monday. All right, let's go into yours though, John. Number one, Amazon 
Marie Donahue and Jay Marine, the two people atop Amazon. Uh, why? You know, one of the things about this pod, Andrew, is the idea that I'm a, a supporter of Amazon right now in terms of being most influential. You couldn't have predicted this 12 months ago. And that's because as we were going into this season, uh, I you know, I mean, if you get if you get the clubs, how many times have I said the worst package available at the NFL? Uh, and, and, it, and it is it's, it, it, of all the packages with, with the NFL, it has the smallest audience. Uh, by far, the Thursday night football package is a package that not one broadcaster wanted. So they all passed on it. Amazon was sort of bidding against itself to keep this package. And what they did with this package, it's made the NBA, it's made MLB, it's made every single rights holder um, a, a lot more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A lot, a lot more likely, a lot more comfortable about doing deals with, with Amazon for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, I don't care about the, the viewership figures except for the first couple of games when even Nielsen was saying they were getting 13, 14 million viewers for, for those games. So Amazon proved that they can handle a broadcast quality style number uh, of, of, of viewers to, uh, to, to, to a stream. Uh, and, and, and that's significant. Um, NBC is providing all of the production. You know, it's coming from Fred Gidelli and uh, and is is sort of overseeing everything. But Amazon is paying for it. And Amazon's production, they treat each Thursday night game almost like a Super Bowl. They have so many cameras. It's like, it's visually beautiful for these plainly awful games, for these games that I, I, I have little That's interest good. in. They've had some good ones. Al Michael sometimes thinks they're not so good. It's less about like, like how they're doing and more if you go inside the nfl if you go inside uh, major league baseball look at the pac-12 i mean before thursday night football you had formula one that passed on uh, on amazon you had the big 10 that passed on amazon because there was this big fear of like you know what we just want distribution and we we don't know what they're capable of doing even though amazon paid our bid more than established traditional broadcasters in both those cases now, moving forward, I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. Number one, all these leagues, the number one thing they like about Amazon is their money. Absolutely. So let, let's be clear. Uh, yep. Although they did bid higher for the Big Ten and some others. Uh, so we're going to test that theory. Look, I've been more bullish on Amazon throughout this podcast, throughout the year. Um, and so, uh, you know, are they the most influential I'm not sure. Like, here's the thing for my list that we're that I'm doing. Uh, I'm just focusing on 2022 because you know what I'll explain there is that if you just focus on who the most powerful, it's always going to be Adam Silver, Roger Goodell, etc. Uh, and they might not even make my list just because they, you know, this year. I mean, Goodell obviously they had the NFL deals, but uh, you know, roll lap if you're listening, you might make the list. Um, he's listening. He he's is listening. listening. Yeah, he'll listen now. Uh, if he makes that <laughs> list, I'll knock him down because he does it now. Nah, I'll, I'll keep it fair. But but bottom line is, yes, they, they've made an impact. So, so let me also just say one more thing. They're a disruptor in the business. That's sort of the, the, the buzz term now. But they're like a $3 trillion disruptor. I mean, that's a pretty big disruptor to be. Um uh, other other networks that I really liked uh, on that list um, uh, was uh, Fox Sports. I think that uh, what what Fox did is uh, th this year, from starting a spring league to 
their situation with the Big Ten, where they uh, they handled the rights and and negotiated with other networks about you know, like where to put that those rights, and they ended up with the best deal out of out of those of those rights. Um, I know you're not uh, big on their World Cup coverage. What I'm big on are, is their World Cup audience. And what I'm big on are the World Cup ad sales during, uh, you know, a, a really uh, soft time for ad sales. Uh, the World Cup has been a huge home run for Fox from a, from a business standpoint. Um, and I think you just look to Thanksgiving weekend alone. I mean, they they, they were able to handle uh, football NFL championship style audiences for Thursday on in, in the NFL, for Friday with the World Cup. For Saturday with college football and then Sunday again with the NFL, I, I just thought that they had a, a a really really good year. But give me your other quickly, and we'll move to the next topic. Uh, two or three, who you thought you know who could have been besides Fox? Anybody else? I always think that uh, Jimmy Pitaro and ESPN, given what they've been doing with uh, with, with their streaming service and g- giving the fact that that they're involved with with uh, so many different uh, aspects of. Uh, uh, of the um the media business they're all they're always somebody that that that's up there uh and then uh, uh also on the list we had you know CBS uh Sean McManus David Burson we had NBC uh Pete Pavacqua along with Molly Solomon you kissed everyone's butt you want to get well I will, I will say this about NBC Molly Solomon I mean doing they had to do the, uh, you know two olympics from you know awful time zones and having a pandemic on top of it and you know the the numbers weren't great but they they got through it and that's worth something i've been hesitant to do power mine are different yours are most influential i guess power rankings are kind of similar but uh i've been hesitant because people just draw conclusions about sources and all this other bs and their pain but just give me a little behind the scenes for john oran's life um when these come out all right. You don't have a rule like I do. They're on the record. I'm not no, kidding. By the way, I am adopting that rule because I love that rule. That no, rule is great. I can, I'm not listening to all you. I'm going to do it. I know everyone takes these very seriously and I get it. And I take them seriously when I do them. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to put a lot of effort and think about it, but I'm not going to play favorites. I'm going to think about it. And whoever I think is higher on a list, they'll be higher on. I'll be able to explain it. It's subjective. All right, let's move on. We're going to go, we're going to get to JJ Reddick, who's excellent. You're going to want to stay on for that. Really good stuff about new media, old media, how he started his podcast uh, as a player and where things are going in the business. Also some uh, Stephen A and Chris Russo talking there. Let's just go to Apple. Okay. Two, two subjects there, where we stand with Sunday ticket. Uh, and then also now MLS doing their deal with Fox, no ESPN. That's official. We reported that last week here on the podcast. Uh, now that's official. Uh, let's just first talk about, uh, you know, I had something in the my newsletter on Monday. It just kind of, you know, I was told this, talked to some people. Um, and, you know, I don't think it was like so earth shattering new, but want to get your take like what are we doing here with uh, Sunday ticket and Apple uh what I was told is originally they wanted to just put it on Apple TV plus and you'd get Sunday ticket and the NFL obviously said no to that and then they want to make it at a lower price uh than what it's three hundred dollars on direct TV and then uh, you've mentioned this previously that they want to protect CBS and Fox uh because if it's you know too cheap then people just go through there and it's on apple and you know then fox and cbs would not be protected um 
I still was told that the, you know the people I talked to still kind of feel like it's going to be Apple, uh, with, but but not done. You know, seventy five percent in that range is what I've heard um, that they think Apple will do a deal uh, with the NFL, but uh, definitely not a short thing. I mean, I I don't really know what, how that's going to play out to be honest. Um, what's your take? Yeah. By the way, seventy five percent. It's been at seventy five percent for months now. In and fact, we did that with Al Michaels. That was one of our fun things. Was Al Michaels on the twenty? You know, Al on the yeah, one but yard. Al Michaels was closer. This, this has been, you know, two. two. Hold on. Is Al is is Amazon is Apple waiting for uh, NBC or Fox or uh, another job to open up? Like Al was. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, there there is movement out there. You know, Google has been uh, kicking. You buy the, the Google. You buy the Google thing. Uh, I think that I, I would put that as a uh, as a long shot, Google. So what do you buy then? I mean, again, I get it. I, I think, you, will you agree? Because I think this is what we like to, because I, I we, we both do. I, I don't want to speak for you because you like doing that. And I don't like when you do that. You're like, we both. So you can disagree. Like, every time I speak for you, I like, I never actually get it right. I think. Right? I don't really like when you do that. No, and I don't like when I, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, but I, but this actually, I think I can. We like to talk about things we know, right? To me, you write what you know, right? Obviously you have opinions, so you have to be able to back those up. There's a little different, but but you always like report what you know. Don't go outside of that sphere because that's when you get into trouble. So to be honest, I don't know what's going to happen here. So I just want to be clear on that. Um, but like, what do you see? Like, do you, like you said, Google's a long shot. We think well, Apple so, so and like, Apple here's, for a long time. Here's what so, we know. Yeah. Here's uh, We know how Apple did its deal with MLS. And that deal, uh, you, you, I think you you had the initial report on that months ahead of time. And it was just hard. Apple is immovable in its in its stance. And we saw how MLS uh, kept uh, uh, having to, you know, bend to Apple's will in, in terms of that. Um, one of the reasons that the uh, TV deal that they did with Fox took as long as it took is because uh, Fox and, and ESPN wanted some exclusive content. They were like, we don't want to market, uh, you know, Apple out there. And Apple, like, you know, the, 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 I'm sure they had lot, lots of long talks with Apple. Apple, no, no chance is Apple going to give that up. So we, we know that Apple is used to telling its partners to jump and watching them jump. Yep. This is also what we know. We know that the NFL is used to telling its partners in Fox, ESPN, and CBS to jump and watching them jump. Yep. And so what happens when you get those two companies that aren't used to sort of bending to the other's will, trying to trying to, to get that 25%? Yeah, they're uh, both arrogant. They're both arrogant. Uh, that's th that's your words, not mine, Andrew. Don't talk. Don't, don't say that for me, please. <laughs> it's the truth, though. They're both I have a lot of mouths to feed at the NFL, please. <laughs> they're both, they're both they're arrogant. That's the word. <laughs> Look, they, they should be. They got the product. They got the greatest product. They do, absolutely. The you know, in sports, they got, NFL is the greatest product. In uh, devices, Apple has more than one of the greatest products. So I think we uh, said this seven we'd months be arrogant. ago. We'd be arrogant, too, if our podcast was the greatest podcast. Uh, seven months ago. We said, boy, this is taking so long. It's uh, I'm starting to wonder if if, if something's up, and and it, it's still the same thing. The longer this takes, the yeah, less likely I see one of them go. Alternative. Look it, at the right price. You uh, Disney is still out there. They haven't actually pulled their bid, although we don't know what 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 their what their bid is. Yeah, I think Disney's at, very unlikely. I think it's very unlikely too. At the right price, uh, Amazon is still out there, um, and already has an established relationship with the NFL that they love. 
Uh, I, I think like that over they 11,000 people, they're going to do big, another big NFL deal. Um, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, place though. So we'll see. Go ahead. Google is, is out there as a possibility, you know, I, I, who knows? I, uh, but th there, there are some out there that, that would be willing to, uh, possibly kick the tires on this but really kicking tires. I mean, this is a billion dollar deal. I don't know. I, you, you know, the, 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 it's, weird. Some... it's weird. It's weird. It's weird. It's Here, weird. Here's, here's the other problem that uh, I actually, I'm going to give away a story that I'm working on probably, but the direct TV has had this since 1994, right? That's uh, how many years? That's uh, like, like 27 years, right? Okay. Sure. Just about almost, almost 30 years. They have so many learnings about how to do this, which include blackouts. So, you know, you, and, and, and like, they just kind of know how to do. Oh yeah. Do Apple's not into blackouts. Well, well also these streaming services, they don't black, like they don't know how to do black. Like if you, you find out on Friday that you need to block, block out this game in Boise, Idaho, DirecTV has that all, all set, set up to do whoever ends up getting this in a digital capacity. I'm not saying they can't do it. I'm just saying that it's going to be something difficult. They're going to need to get this done earlier. They need to get it done to, to to such an extent that they can start to market it. I mean, what what they're going to get it done a month before the season? Like for for two billion dollars, I need I, you got to give me a ramp up to to try to get subscribers for it, right? Hundred percent. All right. Well, that's we'll be watching that as the we're going to have a year in review next week, and then we're going to look ahead. Andrew, I'm anxious to get to our big get uh, the the JJ Redick. But before we do that, NFL Network announced their uh, announcer pairings for the three uh, network games that they're going to have coming up. And you noticed something on it. Yeah. Noah Eagle, uh, young guy, another big shot for him, him and Nate Burleson first on Nickelodeon. Uh, then he did a Fox game. He seems to be going in uh, a, you know, right direction in terms of his uh, career. Ian Eagle's son uh, did Fox's like third or fourth game on college as Clippers boy by player. That was noticeable that he's got another NFL game from NFL network. Uh, that was one. And then, and then real quick, a story that you broke in New York, uh, New York post sports plus it's almost as bad as Warner brothers, discovery sports, the, but uh, Maria Taylor at NBC is going to be uh, doing some college football. Yeah, she's going to be doing uh, the Big Ten uh, pre and I, I presume maybe post game. I might have a post game. It'll be late, but but uh, she's going to be the studio host. So double duty for Maria Taylor after the move to ESPN. She's kind of the, one of their marquee uh, voices and faces of that network now. So uh, she'll be that first person you hear uh, when the Big Ten moves their prime time games uh, to NBC slash Peacock. Uh, next year. So uh, Maria Taylor getting back, that's where she kind of made her name with college game day, et cetera. And on the sideline uh, with ESPN. Not a surprise. She was very good at ESPN on college. A uh, good, good for Maria Taylor. John, let's bring in the big get JJ Reddick and John JJ has a media empire just retired and already has a media empire. He started with as a player. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, he's expanded his role on ESPN doing 20 to 25 games this year. Does get up first take sports center, all that on Christmas. He'll do the Sixers versus the Knicks with uh, Ryan Rucco on play by play. Cassie Hubbard uh, on the sideline uh, noon game on Christmas co-founded his own media company, 342 Production, and then, of course, the podcast, Old Man and the Three. All right, that's enough. We, we did it all. JJ, thanks for joining us. I mean, We're out of time, Andrew. How, how long have you been retired? 
actually, I, when I retired, I thought that it was going to be a, a slow pace for a little bit of time. And uh, I feel like I'm busier than I was as a player right now. There's just a lot on my plate between ESPN and uh, my obligations to the podcast, my obligations to our company. Uh, it's, it's been awesome though. I, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it just not the exact transition that I thought was going to happen. <laughs> One thing, uh, JJ, that Andrew and I have certainly found out is that anybody can do a podcast uh, pretty much. You started yours while you were a player. Take us through, why did you start one? Has, has that been something that you all, that, that, that you thought about for a while before doing it? Yeah. It wasn't something that I thought about before doing it. Woj, who was at Yahoo at the time, was starting the vertical platform. He had asked me to write some stuff. I wasn't a fan of that. It, it brought me back to college and having the anxiety of writing a term paper. So, and I also said to him, I said, this is very similar to the Players Tribune. I, you know, think of think of something else. And came back a couple months later. It's like, let's do a podcast. Uh, you can have your own. And I did not listen to podcasts. I didn't really know what a podcast was. I think I'd been on Bill Simmons in like 2010. Uh, so I did some research and, and, you know, initially I think what got me uh, listeners was just the novelty of it, of an active player. I was the first NBA player to have his own active NBA player to have his own podcast. So there was a novelty in that I'm interviewing my friends. I'm interviewing coaches. I'm interviewing uh, other athletes. Uh, and now that, that, format you know has grown and there's a bunch of podcasts and a bunch of athletes that have those type of podcasts um as time went on my natural curiosity uh, that i have if i go to a dinner party uh, it's very similar to my podcast and i've had people say that to me now i know what it's like to be on your podcast i just like asking questions but as as time went on uh i realized there's a there's a there's a sort of a, a gap in the marketplace and and for for humanizing athletes and, and sort of allowing them uh, to appear as someone other than a, a superhero. And and while we hit on a bunch of topics on all my podcasts, I, I think that's the layer that I'm most proud of. You know what uh, I, I find really cool about your podcast uh, is, is that uh, as an NBA fan, you sort of bring me behind the curtain a little bit. I mean, you're, you're recently retired. As you said, you're talking to your friends uh, pretty much. And there's a certain level of conversation that that is really cool to pick up on. Have you thought about being retired for ten years and make, having that be a little bit more difficult? Like, how do you see this evolving? It's a great question. It's something that I actually spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, and how I think about it is, I'm watching and listening to uh, ESPN, to Fox, to Bleacher Report, to. <laughs> Other podcasts, I'm seeing how they're talking about things, how they're asking questions. Um, I think about my own relationships. I know at some point those relationships will phase out. How do I, and this is where I think ESPN has been so valuable for me, for guys that I didn't play with, even peers, guys I competed against for years that I didn't have a relationship with. They've seen me on ESPN. Uh, they, they, they trust me. They, they know how I operate. Um, so I think by being sort of in both worlds, it actually helps the podcast. Um, look, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball on how the podcast will evolve. I just know it will evolve. It, it has evolved already in three to four iterations of this thing since 2016. And I, if there's one thing that I try to be, it's try to be adaptable. I don't want to be fixed 
and, and be stuck to a format. One of the things that we did initially, uh, you know, even going back to 2016, all the way through fall of 2021 is we had a bunch of different guests on. We would have the former director of the CIA. We had actors on. We had politicians on. Um, what we realized is our core audience is NBA fans. They're NBA fans. Let's give them that content. So that's one natural evolution of the show. We are 95 to 99% NBA content right now, whereas the first iteration of it, we kind of jumped all over the map. Yeah, that's what we kind of kind of not, you know, we're not uh, the old man, the three, but we want media focused, right? So that's what um, we try to be. So when people come every week that they know what they're getting. Uh, and you, you've talked about this, and this kind of been Draymond's talked about this, Draymond Green, uh, old media versus new media. All right. I have my opinions on this. Uh, what do you mean by that when you say old media versus new media? I want to be very clear on this. I never said new media. Okay. New All right. OK. You had him on a live. You, you believe in it then. So I, I don't want to I'll move on to the next question. If you don't I don't want to pin you down on old media. versus new media. On the next question. That's a thing or not. I think Draymond uh, summarized it well and he did it on his podcast first. But when we had him on our live show uh, about a week after they won the NBA finals in June, that was one of the first questions I asked him. I asked him about new media and what that means. And in, in a roundabout way, it's the way that we talk about basketball. It's the way that we talk about athletes. It's the way that we analyze things in a very different way. I, 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 I was watching on Disney Plus the other day, John Stewart and Bob Iger talking about the news and the evolution of news, where news used to be you state the facts and you go to the next story. And maybe you hyperbolize and maybe something uh, that is particularly newsworthy you spend more time on. You think about where I work now. At ESPN, when I was growing up, SportsCenter would run from 6 a.m. to 12 p.m. And then they'd fill the rest of the time with strongman iron competitions. So the, the media has evolved. Now there's debate shows. Everybody has to, to sort of think about things in a different way. And we grew up in this era of these shows and meaning as, as athletes, we lived, we lived through it as athletes and we haven't had strong representation uh, on those shows in those formats. And that's where I think uh, guys like CJ McCollum or Patrick Beverly or Draymond, myself, uh, Marcus Spears, Perk, like we're all part of this new wave of athlete driven media. Um, and that's not to say we could ever replace or even be better than old media there it, it, to me it's not uh one has to win one has to lose to me is how do we figure out uh, a combination of both that makes the sports fan engage in a very positive way now i've been told that you like doing the games maybe more than doing the studio stuff um but the studio stuff has really gained some steam especially when you're on with Stephen a when you're on with Chris Russo, how have you found that? You know, the kind of, you could say they're old media, you know, they're, they're look, I, I think that to me, the concept just before I ask you that question, it's really more direct to consumer media. That really is what we're talking about is players have their own voice. They don't need to go through a reporter like me. I covered the Yankees for a lot of years. So if you did a story, I, you're going to, even if I'm telling your side of it and humanizing you, it's still through my lens. Now you can kind of reach the audience, but let me just get to the first take part of it. Th that old media, that, that kind of, what are you trying to do there when you kind of going head to head with those guys? I, I want to clarify. I 
I love doing games and I got to do a few at the end of last season, two regular season games, three uh, playoff games. And I had, you know, signed a short contract. So I I was up this summer and it was a point of emphasis for me to be able to get games. And because I got a significant amount of games, you you know, 25 minimum games, um, there were things that had to be cut out, you know? And so it was like a non-starter for me, like, first take needs to be in the contract. Like I need to be doing first takes. Give me this amount of appearances on first take. I absolutely love doing first take. Uh, you know, I, I look at like the podcast first take and games. Like for me, those are the three things. And I, I think it's interesting because I think Stephen A and I's relationship, we, we have a great relationship off camera, but even on camera, it has really evolved. And there's, there's a lot of chemistry there. And there's also, uh, we, we both have great memories. So we like to call each other out on things. Uh, and, and, you know, with, with Mad Dog, you know, I respect him. And we have had numerous conversations off camera. Uh, I would consider him a friend. But, uh, you know, he, he comes from a, a, a certain era of shock jock sports takes. And I like to combat that. I like to I'd like to point out where I think he's crazy. Yeah, and, and the one and so it's live TV. So it's this isn't hard. This is probably why you like it, I would presume. I mean, it's not playing, but it's live TV. So when you say something, you know, it's coming out. Sometimes maybe you hadn't even thought about it. I mean, the Bob Cousy thing got a life of its own where you said that he played against firemen and plumbers. Um, when you said that and then after, what was your what was kind of the how'd you feel about how that all went down? Some of first take is meant to entertain. And so I, I, people are like, I disrespected the older gen. I knew it was going to, first of all, the, the segment was on Kyrie flipping off the, the Boston Celtics fans. Like segment had nothing to do with This is the genius of Chris Russo though. That's where Russo gets you. I wrote today. He baffles you with this stuff. And then I brought up the fact that he was saying crazy stuff about Chris Paul from an earlier segment that I wasn't on. And he, he, you know, randomly Stephen A is like, Chris Paul's a top five point guard ever. And Bob and, uh, and Chris said, uh, Bob Cousy's the greatest point guard ever, which I've actually seen him on first take list his top five point guards as part of Mad Dog's A list. And he doesn't list Bob. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah. This is the genius. Look, Jay, this is the genius of Chris Russo. Exactly. Part of, part of, the, part of the show is to entertain. Yep. And so, if I, if I just said, you can't. You can't compare a modern point guard or a modern player with a player in the 50s because modern players play year round. They have skills coaches. There's player development coaches on every staff. They work on our, their game numerous times. They have all the recovery apparatuses. They are fully invested all the time, 100% in being great. And you compare that to the 1950s when many players in the offseason had jobs. They had second jobs. I'm very grateful for everything those players did to lay the foundation for what is the modern NBA. That's not particularly entertaining. You know, what is entertaining saying that he played against plumbers and firemen, which is not untrue. <laughs> I don't mean it to be disrespectful. I don't mean it to be disrespectful. Um, and I, you know, that whole segment, there was so much more context to that conversation, but we know that it's the little small clips and the little small sound bites, which I'm totally fine with. That's ultimately what, what goes viral. So, JJ, you're now on first take. You know that there's a big entertainment uh, focus to it. When you were a player, how would you view these types of shows? Didn't know they existed. (laughs) I swear to God. 
not know that they, I knew who Stephen A was. I knew who Skip was. First Take was not a show that I watched. Um, you know, I, I, I looked at uh, NBA.com for advanced stats. I looked at film when I was playing. I looked at hoops height. That's I, I didn't pay attention to other narratives around players. I you probably hear enough because you're on Twitter where you you know the the argument LeBron versus MJ. Like I knew that existed. Um, when they told me I was going to do first take, they're like, "It's a debate show," and I was like, "Okay." And I go on the first time, and you know, I'm I'm doing whatever they. I can't remember what question they asked me, but they, I, I didn't I didn't provide a take, and they were like, "This is called first take," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second or third show, I think me and Stephen A had our first viral moment. And I was like, ah, I get it. I get what the show is now. Um, but I, I, again, I, I couldn't tell you five horrible Stephen A takes between 2006 and 2021 when I retired. I couldn't tell you five because I didn't pay attention. I didn't know. You mentioned how you're busier now than you were when, when you were playing. You set up your own production company. Uh, you have these viral videos. You're on first take. Are, are you a media executive? Are you media talent? Like, how do you view how, what, what you're doing? Yeah, I think on the ESPN side, I certainly view it as being a talent. That's and not to say I'm talented. I'm saying that's what we're called. We are the talent. If you're on camera, you're the talent, right? It's that simple. So I view it as I'm, I'm talent on the ESPN side. On the podcast side, I don't necessarily view it as being an executive uh, I view our team. So we have uh, we have five people in our company right now. We're getting ready to bring on a sixth and seventh person. Um, I view us as a team and I view that side of my media life as as ownership. That's something that I own. That's something that I've built myself. Um, so I take a lot of pride in that and I view it through that lens, not through the lens of being a boss or being the sole decision maker of something. We have, uh, we all have great sort of chemistry and different viewpoints on what we should and shouldn't do. My general viewpoint uh, on the production company is to sort of move slow. Um, I don't want to make 10 to 15 things a year. I want to make two to three great things a year. Um, and so now that I'm retired, you know, we, we have been able to sort of build momentum to making and producing other content outside of the podcast, which, you know, we're really excited about. What is the goal with 342 Productions? Like, what, I, you know, you said go slow, but where do you see it in five, 10 years? What are you trying to accomplish? I think the, the, the general basis is, is sports storytelling and, and not just my own storytelling. It's, it's uh, giving people platforms to storytell. There's, you know, something interesting we're going to have uh, coming up is with a, a player who already makes his own content and we're going to start co-producing some things with them. Um, and I, 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 I love video as much as I love podcasts and the audio side, I love video. So there are uh, at least two right now uh, television shows that we are actively working on. Um, so that's sort of where I see it going. Uh, the podcast is sort of the, the tent pole, if you will. And then everything else we do outside of that, uh, it could be um, athlete driven content. It could be uh, a scripted or unscripted show with uh, a streamer that's sort of where i see this going all right they'll take me back to duke 
Uh, you're 18 to 22 years old, you know, when you're at Duke and there's so much focus on you and some of it, you know, was cocky, whatever the thing is with like the Duke player that you got, you know, Leitner got and others have gotten. What is that like though? You know, it's media somewhat driven, fan driven. What was that like for you as, you know, basically, a kid, you know, a young adult? Um, what was that like for you dealing with that? It was confusing. Uh, luckily I had a great support system, coach K uh, Coach Collins, Coach Wojo, Coach Dawkins. Uh, I saw two different men mental health professionals. Uh, the summer really after my sophomore to junior year was a life-changing period of time in my life. Um, continue to see uh, a therapist uh, throughout my time at Duke. Um, that, 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 but, I, you know, I didn't, I never viewed it as the media creating something. I never viewed any of that I never viewed the media in a negative way when I played. I always looked at it as the media has a job to do. You may not like the job they're doing, but that's their job. Um, you know, if, if I have a rough stretch and a Philly blogger wants to write a negative article about me, it's his prerogative to do that. He should do that. That's his job. His job is to tell the story of why I suck right now, right? Uh, the the Duke uh, white villain, like I, I've talked about, I talked about this on my early iteration of the Yahoo podcast. Um, some of that, I think, is a little media driven. I remember even when I was there and Greg Paulus was coming in, I remember reading articles and it was Greg Paulus will be the next hated Duke player. And I'm like, well, what do him and I have? In oh, he's a guard. He's white. He's annoying. Like, yeah. OK, this is like. There's some commonality there, um, but that the, the 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 Duke hatred was somewhat self-driven because I was a jerk, and then some of that was just college basketball and the animosity and hatred for Duke. I didn't I didn't feel like it was because I was special that people hated me. It was like I went to Duke. Had I gone to the University of uh, Florida, I don't think it would have been a big deal. Yeah, I mean, John, we should tell them, you know, I was on Coach K's pod the other day. I mean, <laughs> you know, John's a Maryland guy. So, you know, JJ, we got I, 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 I was not part of the crowd, but I was in the crowd uh, that, that was uh, uh, chanting F-U-J-J, which uh, in a strange way was wait, almost wait, hold like. On hold on a second, John. Did you actually chant that? No, no, I'm, I was too old to chant that. I did not chant that. All right, because I was uh, going to say you own an apology. Uh, no, no, that, but I will tell you this. From my seat, I thought the way that J.J. Reddick handled it, which was like a big smile on his face, it was almost like like a, a love letter of sorts is, is a way that that uh, Marilyn was uh, looking at it I, in, in a certain sense. I, I know you just effed, or you just bleeped out your own F-bomb, but are we allowed to say the F-word on this? Or you you can say it. John, you know, it's fine. No? My, my, my line has always been, uh, and I'm sorry, John, but uh, you know, my line has always been, that when people ask about the the hatred that I, I got at Duke, I have zero issue with any opposing fan bases. I love Carolina fans, sincerely. It was like such a pleasure to be part of that rivalry. There were some incidences at Wake or at Florida State, but like I have no ill will towards any fan bases, except fuck Maryland. <laughs> yes, 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 JJ Reddick. Who invited JJ Reddick on this oh, damn podcast, Andrew Marchand? JJ Reddick, you might be making you might be making them. Well, wait, why? <laughs> I like that. Why? Just because because they did the fu. They were the only ones who did that. Well, you know, Maryland was particularly vicious, and I and and uh and and some of the signs. 
In fact, uh, th there was a big uh, 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 after after the FUJJ uh, chant. You know, they took away rock and roll uh, part one, which was a a, a, a a song that the band played that got the Maryland fans to chant you, uh, chant you suck. And the law of the land came down on on Maryland somewhat, I I, I would say. But, but, but there, 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 else? There, there were a lot of unfair signs directed. They, they just they, they, there was it was perpetual line crossing, I think, is what it comes down to. Perpetual line crossing. Also, like it wasn't just at the arena. You have to understand there was personal harassment in my life. Like they were, they would somehow get my number and they would call me 20 times between the hours of 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. This is before you could silence your phone and have your alarm on, right? So you either had to have your, you know, it was just stuff like that. It was, it was, uh, yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but the, the actual, the attorney, after that game, when they chanted my name, the attorney general of Maryland got involved and, did this whole study and sort of resolution on fan behavior at uh, at the University of Maryland. It was very interesting. John and and JJ, I don't want to I want to lighten the mood a little bit. Did you still have those numbers? Because was one of them two oh two two? I'm giving you John's number. <laughs> Were you John? Admit it, John. Were you calling JJ at two? No, I was. I was too old. And when I went to school, I went to school in the Bob Wade era. We weren't good enough to compete. So I, 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 did you say I, F you to anybody though, Channing? Oh heck no, no, absolutely not. But uh, I'm not a fan. And look, we, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up in a second. But I'm not a really a fan of fans booing, um, especially their own players. Now the other players, fine. But I don't think fans booing might be okay. But I'm not a fan of fans being able to say whatever the heck they want. I don't buy the I bought a ticket. I can say whatever I want because I don't think people would go up to anybody and say that to you know most people wouldn't. You know, some crazy people uh, might. Uh, JJ from 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 the crowd, it seemed like you weren't bothered by the fujj uh, chant. No, it's not in the moment. I I, I embraced it. I, I I put on my villain cap and you beat the hell out of us that game. I, I my I, my sister, one of my older sisters, she sums it up best. She's like they thought they thought you were an asshole, and you said okay. I'll be an asshole. <laughs> that's what John. That's what actually. That's how it works with John and me too. I'm not gonna say who's the which who's the a hole or not, but uh, oh, I'm the nice guy of the pod, Andrew. You know that. Oh, come on. Listen, you come from a school. It's garbage, Maryland. <laughs> I think we don't do that in America. We're, we're like in this little bubble of fan behavior because it, it is a topic of conversation, especially the last few years, where some things have been said, and you know, even at NBA arenas that are uh, particularly racist, and fans get kicked out or banned or whatever. Um, when you look at fan behavior in the rest of the world, the USA is soft, <laughs> like fan behavior, like there's riots, there's fighting, there's people die. They're Hooligans are a real thing. Exactly. It's, 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 it's an aberration. There's, there's three to four instances every year. When you think about the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of paying customers, game after game after game after game sport after sport after sport in america and what do we say we, there's three to four incidences a year it's not that bad so jj i have one final question uh for you and it goes back to going back to duke and and the coach k practices like how many practices did he devote teaching you how to touch the floor like did was that like a full practice where they did that or this is the this is the maryland bias coming <laughs> F you, John Oran. Get it out of your system. It's it's uh, it's sort of like how very early human cultures uh, passed along 
their stories and cultures through the sp spoken word. And we sort of did that through a visual medium at Duke because we all grew up watching Duke. And I don't know who the first floor slapper was, but I grew up watching Wojo. Wojo, there's another one. Peter <laughs> said, you got to slap the floor on this possession or here's when you slap the floor. You just slap the floor when you felt it. When you felt it, when you wanted to be intense, when you needed a stop, that was the time to do it. Here we go. I'm going to start slapping my desk when we're having one of our debates, John, just to get you, <laughs> you off. All right? Uh, listen, JJ, I, I would go through your resume again on, in closing, but this pod, we try to keep it to under an hour, and so we're not. But you're doing great. Media Empire, um, congratulations on that. And uh, is there anything you want to say, final words to John? John, my only thing is I'm so disappointed in the University of Maryland for taking the bag and leaving the ACC. It just shows such a lack of integrity. All right, see you guys. Thanks. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, JJ. I got to take that. JJ, excellent podcast. Uh, please listen to it. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. This was fun. Appreciate it. I got to say, that was great. I love that. Uh, you, you still, he still has the passion. The Maryland fans still get that passion out of him. Uh, but I, I will say this, the, and, and he talked about it too, the arc of his career and I think that even when he came through in the NBA and played in, in D.C., the Wizards really don't have a rabid fan base, but he, would, he got booed every time he came through D.C. It's sort of a Maryland residue there until sort of like midway toward the end of his career. And now like he's he's almost turned his like I'm not sure if it's an age that happened or if it's maturity on his part or if it's just kind of people like people just respecting somebody that had a nice, good, long career, who's really a likable guy. Yeah, and I think for me, from a media perspective, um, what impresses me, and you hear it, like, and you can tell by how he's gone about, you know, the podcast, the first take thing, and even how he recognizes the value of first take, wanting to do games. Um, you know, sometimes we, you know, there's people, ex-players, not really ex-players, just people in general, and I don't really want to say just ex-players, but people in general sometimes, I don't know. You, you get them on here and they're doing well in sports media, but they don't really get the business, at least, you know, initially he gets the business. Like, he, again, he might not. Have, this might be a little bit faster than he thought. And he's doing really well. It's been very lucrative for him. Um, but he understands the business. Like, I would not be betting against his production company. Uh, you know, I think even going slow to me, that makes sense. He doesn't sound like you know, he, he, he made a lot of money as a player, so he doesn't like need the money. You know, a lot of people are making these quick businesses and then trying to sell them. And, you know, going slow to me, if you really want a successful, if you're really trying to tell stories, I think slower is better. Um, you know, and I think a lot of times people kind of ratchet it up so then they can try to sell it quick. Um, and I don't think he's doing that. I mean, he might be able to get a nice valuation one day, but, uh, but that doesn't seem like that's necessarily the goal. You know, that could be that could be part of the journey, but it's not necessarily the goal. And so that's what impressed me in terms of how thoughtful he was. Uh, and you can tell because he's a Dukey and not a Maryland guy. Yeah, you know what? You, you can even like take a look. I'll, I'll ignore that comment, Andrew. But take a look at how how he described the podcast. And and you know, he he didn't just say like I'm just going to sit down at this podcast and talk to my friends and and, and throughout. Like he he's looking for holes or areas that 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 he can sort of fill with his podcast and and he's thinking already about sort of how to uh, how the podcast will mature and he's a very thoughtful guy and he he has a it really is a fantastic podcast that uh you know if you're an NBA fan people uh people really really like that
That was enjoyable. All right, let's move to our call of the week. Call of the week. All right, John, for this week, um, we're doing something different for our call of the week. Um, it's somber. Uh, Grant Wall passed away uh, last week. Uh, shocking news out of the World Cup. Uh, I'm sure basically everyone listening has heard what happened uh, with Wall. He was covering the quarterfinals game uh, between Argentina and the Netherlands uh, and collapsed and then passed away uh, in Qatar. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that swirled around this, uh, but I just, for us, um, you know, let's just stick to what we know about the situation. And uh, the big thing is to me is how he's been eulogized. Um, you know, uh, I think it's been touching. Um, not to me, because this is to me, like when I talk about anything, um, he had a obviously influential career. Um, you know, you could argue the preeminent soccer writer um, of this generation. Uh, it also did college hoops, actually did a feature on JJ Reddick at one point, And of course did the LeBron high school cover story uh, for sports illustrated that introduced LeBron uh, to the nation. Um, but it really, to me, you know, what stood out is how he was to people and how helpful he was and kind he was. Um, and to me, that's the true, you know, test of someone and who they are. Uh, and so to me, that's the greatest tribute to someone uh, is how he treated other people and how he was there for people, it seemed like, who could help him in the business and people who couldn't help him at all in the business and outside of the business. And so for that, um, I just want to pass on my condolences to um, to Grant Wall's family and friends. Um, there's a really tough and shocking um, death um, on Friday when that news spread. Yeah, it was a total gut punch. I, I I didn't know him very well, but I knew him well enough that uh, like it, it it really affected me when I when I heard it. And one of the things that uh, stuck out to me, in addition to what you said, is just the amount of people that he touched. It was so many tweets that I saw, so many social media posts from so many different people from all part all walks of life. Uh, there are so many personal stories about meeting somebody who took the time to uh, to, to just connect with them. And that, that's quite a legacy. I have a personal story, too. Of, you know, the first time I met Grant Wall, I, of course, knew exactly who Grant Wall was. He's a famous Sports Illustrated writer. He'd, he was coming to David Beckham's first game in Washington, D.C. with MLS. And uh, we sat in the press box. Uh, I was introduced to him and uh, we sat down for a half hour and just you know, chatted about soccer, about sports media and, and you know, price of tea in China. It, it didn't matter. It was like, you know, every time I saw him, it was, it was similar to that. So it's uh, uh, my, our condolences to his family, his friends and, and to everybody. And with that, let's, uh, you know, thanks to our producers, Chris Mason, AC Wyatt, and let's uh, call this one to a close. <laughs>